1984, pastors Jean and Sue started Faith Christian Center in a hotel ballroom. But for the past 36 years, they have taught people how to practically apply the Bible to their everyday lives. Over the years, God has blessed us and the church has grown. Faith Christian Center is now located on a beautiful 73-acre campus in the heart of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We believe the best is yet to come. Today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and teach you how to experience God's best in every area of your life. We're going to pick up this evening right where we left off last Wednesday evening. In our lives, the incarnation and the resurrection and the redemption that Jesus paid the price for, these things should be more than just theories or ideas or a doctrine that we give mental assent to or we say that we're in agreement with. In our lives, the incarnation and the redemption that Jesus paid for and his resurrection, they ought to be a living reality in our everyday lives. And we ought to live mindful of his incarnation. Him in us, him working through us by his spirit, we ought to live mindful of the reality of the resurrection. Last Wednesday night, I gave you Galatians 2 and verse 20, where Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. And that means the old man, the old woman has been put to death. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 4.25 should be a reality in our lives. Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And if you study Paul's writings, also the book of Hebrews, you'll see that the, the work of Christ, it is finished, it is done, it is past tense. So it's not that we're going to be, but we are what he has done in our lives. We are now, present tense, we are now redeemed. We are now justified. That is brought into right standing with God. 1 John 3 and verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. So notice that's present tense. We are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. And under the old covenant, they were servants or they were slaves, but under the new covenant were sons and daughters. And that is an entirely different relationship. And so we've got to live as if we are his sons and daughters. And we've got to talk like and act like and think like we are his sons and daughters. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And Paul wrote about that day when our, the bodies, our bodies will be raised and we shall be like him in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. But now we are, present tense, right now, you and I. If you have repented of your sins, if you have professed faith in Christ, if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life, you are a son of God or you are a daughter of God with all the rights, with all the benefits, with all the privileges thereof. So we ought not hang our heads. We ought not act like we're not good enough. 
We ought not act like we're not cut from the right cloth or whatever it is. You know, if you lived in England and you were related to the queen, if you went to Buckingham Palace and they, you know, turned you away, you would throw a fit because you would know you have the right of admission. If you had a certain last name or in Washington, D.C., you would expect better treatment, amen? And so the reality is we are his children, we are his sons and daughters. And so now you go to Hebrews, and I would encourage you to read Hebrews 10. Now we can approach Father God as a son or daughter. Hebrews 10, verse 19 tells us with confidence. And Hebrews 10, 22 tells us with the full assurance of faith, the guarantee that we are his, and we can enter his presence, his throne room with boldness, with confidence, with every assurance. So in our lives, the redemption that Jesus paid for. It should be more than just a theory or an idea or a doctrine. It should be a part of our daily life. It should be a part of our everyday walk. Now, right now, Sophie and Michaela, they're, reading, uh, they're each reading the same book by uh, T.L. and Daisy Osborne. Those, some of those books by Dr. Osborne are pretty thick, but they're great because the print's big, a lot of pictures, amen, of what God did in their overseas crusades. But if anyone exemplified who we are in Christ now in the present tense, it was T.L. and Daisy Osborne, that we are his representatives. And so we ought to walk like it. We ought to talk like it. We ought to act like it. And he wants to do the works through us that he did when he was here on planet Earth. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13, he has rescued us, past tense, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have. So we have it. We're not trying to get it. We're not trying to earn it. We don't have to do 25 things to have it. We have it. We have redemption. Say, I have redemption. I have, redemption. I have the forgiveness of sins. I have forgiveness of sins. So it's done. It is behind you. So we ought to live like it. And this is why we ought to have the joy of the Lord. Amen and walk with confidence, and walk with assurance, and pray with confidence. We'll get to that. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding, that he lavished upon us extravagantly, more than we would ever need. So for our heavenly Father, the redemption is a reality. What Christ did for us is a reality. From his perspective, it's done, it's finished, we have it, it belongs to us, and so for us, we ought to think the same way. In our lives, his redemption should be a reality. Satan has been defeated, and he has been stripped of his authority, dominion, and power. So any man or woman, no matter their past, their background, where they came from, their past sins, any man or woman can call upon Jesus they can repent of their sins, and they can confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they can be born again. They, make, they can become a child of God. They can become a son or daughter of God. They can be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And they can completely and fully step out of bondage into perfect liberty. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And when Paul wrote that, and he wrote that to the Roman church, 
The Roman Empire was an empire of slavery. Much of what they did and had and maintained was on the basis of slavery. There were even some cities in which there were more slaves than free citizens. And of course, in, in Rome, there were differences with the kind of slavery they practiced versus other forms in more recent history. For example, slaves, depending on their position, they, they received pay, they could buy their freedom over time. Some chose not to because of their circumstances and whose house they were in, what their assignment was. But Rome was a slave culture, a wicked culture, an evil culture, a culture of idolatry and great wickedness, a culture of slavery. And in that context, Paul wrote to the Roman church, sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. The King James says, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law, but under grace. So turn in your Bible to Romans chapter six and let's look at this because this is so important. And there are far too many believers today and they've been born again a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they're, they're still living in bondage to sin. They're still struggling with the same sins that they, they've struggled with for the past five years or 10 years or 15 years. We were at lunch one day after church with Jessica's family and we were just having burgers finished with the kids and I had just taken Samuel to the bathroom to wash his hands. We were walking back and past the table and it was... It was obvious by the conversation it was a young married couple and maybe the, the youth pastor, a young adults pastor, their pastor, but a pastor of some kind, although he needed to go back to seminary, amen? And he, he literally said, well, we all sin all the time. Your sins are just different than my sins. And, and that is what I call lame, weak Christianity in which there is no victory whatsoever. But that, that's not what Jesus paid the price for. And that's not the level that we're to walk at. We're to live a life of victory. So look at what Paul wrote to the Roman church. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Remember that old man, that old woman is crucified in Christ. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So if you're living the old life still, you're doing something wrong. If you're living like the old man, the old woman, there's something wrong. And so even though the culture says, well, you know, you're okay, I'm okay, or the culture says, well, you know, you live however you want, or it's a lifestyle choice. Well, it may be a lifestyle choice, but it can take you right to hell. And not this Sunday. This Sunday's about love. <laughs> Which I don't know how that could offend anyone, amen? But in two Sundays, we're going to Galatians 5, and Paul's writing to the believers, to the church, and he says, those who live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And it doesn't get much plainer than that. So you, you can't head down certain roads and think, well, I'm good. And if the, the trumpet blasts, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up in the air with Pastor Gene. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the... You, you're, you're kidding yourself. They that live like that shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should be, no longer be slaves to sin. So they, they were living in a culture of slavery, and you read Galatians and other places, Paul deals with the fact that in the churches, in the Roman world, there, there were people from every background imaginable. Free, slave, every background imaginable. But now they were in Christ Jesus. But he writes to the Roman believers and says, we should not be slaves to sin. But there are a lot of believers and they're slave to some sin. Or they're a slave to sin. And they've been taught that that's acceptable. So we ought not be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. The, new, the King James or New King James says, reckon, consider, act as if you are dead to sin. See, you got to act like that old man, that old woman is dead because because of what Jesus did, that old man, that old woman is dead. But you've got it when you're tempted. When you're facing the choice or the decision or whatever it is, you've got to count it yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, do not let, which means God's not going to do it for you. The Holy Spirit is not going to make you. You know, no one has ever been sitting on their computer you know, looking at something they shouldn't, and the Holy Spirit walked in and boom, shut the, shut the screen. Now, your husband or wife may, but that, that's a different situation, amen. So therefore, you do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you obey its evil desires. It's a choice. Tell, tell yourself, say, it, it's a choice. So if you're born again, you, you have victory over sin, and you have authority over sin and over the works of the enemy. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit so we can overcome anything and everything. So if you're, not, if you're a believer and you're not overcoming, you're choosing to live in defeat. You're choosing to live in sin, and you have chosen to make yourself a slave to sin. Verse 13, do not. So again, God's not going to do it for us. We have a choice. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. So what Paul's dealing with is the fact that we're, we're not to be slaves to sin and we're not to offer our lives to sin. We're to be servants of the Most High God and we're to dedicate our lives and our bodies and all that we are to service in the kingdom of God. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So anyone who teaches grace in such a way as to lead people to believe it doesn't matter how we live, they, they've not read the New Testament and they've not read it completely and they, they've not even taken the time to read all that Paul wrote. And Peter dealt with that. Peter dealt with in one of his epistles that there were ignorant people confusing and distorting the writings of the Apostle Paul 
because basically it was beyond their level of understanding. And I'm saying it in a much nicer way than Peter said it. Verse 15, what then shall we send because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Absolutely not. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. So sin, as Paul says elsewhere, sin leads to death, trouble, heartache. That's not God teaching you something. Well, the Lord, you know, he's, he's teaching me something because he has a, a higher purpose. No, you have made yourself a slave to sin, which has led to death, which has led to trouble, which has led to all this unnecessary heartache and grief, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be, say used to be, be. slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. So say that, say, I have been set free. free. So we got to live like it, amen. So we ought not let it master us. We ought not let it dominate us. Now again, he says here, do not let. So we have some things to do. So you may have to unfriend some people. Well, well, Austin, can I walk in love and unfriend people? Absolutely. Walking in love doesn't mean you have to let people bring you down to their level. And uh, they can get saved and do what's right if they want to. But see, are, they, are you leading them to Christ or is it the opposite that's going on in your life? You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from those things which you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So I cannot honestly, willfully, of my own free will, be offering my life unto sin and expect to reap a harvest of eternal life. doesn't matter what anybody on TV or Facebook says. Sin leads to death. Verse 23, and anybody that witnesses and knows the Roman The Roman road knows this verse. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So part of living in the reality of the redemption that Jesus paid for is we ought to live in victory over sin. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted. We'll deal with, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, living by the Spirit versus by the flesh. You know, just because you did a great job in 2020 does not mean you're off the hook in 2021. And just because you said no to the devil last week doesn't mean that, you you know, you're off the hook for the rest of the year. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It, It is an ongoing thing. We are not going to escape until we step into eternity to be with him. And so you got to just make up your mind. You're going to live a righteous life and offer yourself to the kingdom of God. And you're not going to allow or permit sin to master, any kind of sin to master you in any part of your life. We should master sin. We should have the victory over sin. And part of walking in the freedom of Christ and ministering that to others, you've got to have it in your own life. 
So you got to live in the reality of it if you want to be used of God to impart that to others. So the redemption has made us, the new man, the new woman, the new creation, his redemption has made us masters over sin. So in Christ Jesus, even the weakest child, or as Paul says to the church at Corinth, even the, 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 the least part of the body of Christ has victory over sin. Even the weakest child of God is a master of demons, whether they know it or not. But see, do we believe it? And are we living like it? You know, one of my, my favorite little sermon clips is a clip of Leonard Ravenhill preaching about John the Baptist. It, it is truly amazing. But there's something even more amazing, and it's what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 11, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least, say least. least. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So as great as John was, to be born for a special purpose, to go into the wilderness, to be set apart unto God, to never marry, to never have a family, to serve his purpose, and to literally give his head for the kingdom of God, the least in Christ Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. See, we have not even begun to realize who we are in Christ because of what Jesus did for us. And the, the saints of the Old Testament would, would love to have what we have. The entirety of the written word, Genesis through Revelation, the new birth, being born again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness. They, they would love to have all that we have. So we have no excuse. So the redemption is a reality and we ought to live as if his redemption is a reality in our lives. So we got to believe it. Amen. Say, I got to believe it. You got to confess it. Got to walk in it. And just because you do a great job this week, next week's coming up. Next month's coming up. And that's why we've got to stay in the word of God. We've got to stay in prayer. We've got to be in the house of the Lord. You know, the, the ecclesia, the church, is the gathering. And that's part of why what's gone on in our country in the last year is so evil and so wicked because it's been an attack on the, the gathering of God's people. And people are creatures of habit. You know, I, I just can't imagine people being out of a good habit for three months. Well, imagine six months or imagine a year. You know, what, what are the numbers going to be when they do start gathering again? It's, it's going to be not good. So we've got to do our part to live in the reality of the redemption. And so we can now say, I'm free in Christ. John 8, 36, Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Elsewhere, didn't bring the reference, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But you have to understand that in the Jewish mindset, the truth you know is the truth you do and the truth you live out. And that's why I said Sunday as a part of the message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have a lot of Pentecostal charismatic believers and their lives, their circumstances never changed five years, 10 years, 15 years. And they're having all these experiences, having all these experiences when they come to church, but they're not doers of the word of God. 
And that's why in their lives, the fruit of the word never shows up. And as I said, Paul said, all things are ours, amen. We can live an obedient life. We can be doers of the word. We can walk in the blessing of God. And we can also have the power of God. We can have it all, amen. But we have to live it out. If you want to walk in it, you got to live it out, amen. So if he sets us free, we are free indeed. So when you know your place and you know who you are and you know who your heavenly father says you are, then the redemption will be a reality in your life. And when you're in Christ, you're free of the devil's dominion and you're free of his authority unless you open the door and give him a place in your life. And of course, as they explained to us in children's church so long ago, and they were right. He doesn't ring the doorbell and you open it up and uh, there's a scary looking guy with horns and a tail and a pitchfork, you know, flames behind him. It's not how he shows up. Shows up as a wrong friend or a wrong relationship or, hey, let's go here, let's go do, that, that's how he shows up. He masquerades as an angel of light. So we ought to walk in the fullness of the new creation. And we should walk in all the benefits that have been made available to us. So for us, the redemption Jesus paid for, and this new creation, it must be more than just forgiveness of sins. It must be more than just, well, I've been saved, and now I'm going to heaven. It must be more than just, I have my religion, and I have my church, or my membership. Redemption is when we become new creations. It's when we become a child of God. It's when we become literally partakers of his divine nature. And this will help you understand why Paul says what he says when he writes to the church at Corinth. And he says, shall I take the body of Christ and unite the body of Christ to a prostitute? He was writing to a situation which there was great immorality, even immorality in the church. And he was explaining that when you're, you're born again and the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you'll have the eyes to see it from the word of God, when you do what's wrong, you're, you're, you're engaging Christ in that activity. And you might think, Austin, that, that's horrific. How must God see that? What must God's perspective be? Well, that's where you got to go over to Hebrews and the warning passages. And it talks about how frightening it is to fall into the hands of the living God. You're like, I thought that was just a Jonathan Edwards sermon. Well, he based it on the Word of God. Amen. So we've got to live like it. Redemption means we have passed from darkness to light. It means we have passed from death to life. It means that we've passed from the old man and the nature of the old man, which was the satanic nature, to the divine nature that we now have in Christ. And you might recoil at that and think, well, I wasn't so bad when I was a sinner. You were in the darkness, and now you're in the light. And yes, I know some of us were in the darkness more than others, amen. But you ought to understand the reality that we are in the light. And as John tells us in 1 John, we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that if any of us claim to walk in the light, yet we walk in darkness, John says we lie, we are deceived, and there is no truth in us. And that's why John and the author of Hebrews both say, 
that you, you can come to a point when you're in willful, ongoing sin, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins left but the fire of hell. It's a serious thing. It's a sobering thing. So redemption includes the forgiveness of sins, but much, much more. We ought to live in the reality of all that he did for us. The old you, the old man, the old woman was crucified with Christ. We already read Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live by in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. So when you were born again, a new man or a new woman was resurrected, when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and confessed him as Lord and Savior, God imparted his divine nature into you. He gave you the gift of eternal life. You became a new man or a new woman in Christ Jesus. So sin no longer has dominion over you and your life and your circumstances unless you give it a place. So if you got something going on in your life, you're responsible. You're responsible. You're responsible. Satan no longer has any dominion over your life unless you give him a place. So we've got to live in the reality of his redemption. And we've got to better appreciate all that he did for us in his redemption. It's the greatest gift that we've been given. It's the greatest gift that has been given to the church. And we now have the authority or the legal right to use the name of Jesus to deal with the devil, to deal with sin, to overcome any circumstance. But why don't people get traction in their prayer life? Go to 1 John. He explains it. They lack confidence. Why do they lack confidence? Because they're not living the Christian life. They have, in the language of Paul in Romans 6, they have made themselves a slave to sin. And so for them, prayer is begging, pleading, hope so. It's about as effective as rubbing beads, hailing Mary, or uh, in the football game, throwing a Hail Mary, like you, uh, you always do playing uh, Madden football and Sega, Sega Genesis. You know, that, that works in Madden. That doesn't work in real life. Amen? Begging, pleading, hope so. See, we're, we're to pray with confidence, but part of praying with confidence is living as you should as a child of God. John 15, 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask. And the word there, the root word is a tail, which means demand. He'll give you whatever you demand. Say demand, demand. in my name. You might say, Austin, I don't, I don't feel like I can demand anything. Well, you got to know who you are in Christ. You got to understand and know who you are because of all that Jesus did for you. And you say, well, I still don't feel like I can make a demand. Well, that's part of why you got to live the life. As Paul said, you got to grow up, you got to mature and start walking with the Lord the way you should. John 16, 23, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask or demand in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask or demand, say demand, and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And to demand is not to demand in an arrogant or pretentious way. It is to make a demand knowing who you are in Christ and knowing the rights that you have in Christ and knowing that you have been given his name and given his authority. 
When we go to our Heavenly Father in His name, with a petition or with a demand, it is as though Jesus is making that petition. It is as though Jesus is making that demand. When we go to our Heavenly Father with a petition or we give a command or we make a demand in the name of Jesus, it is as though Jesus has made that demand. But we got to live in the reality of it. Remember what Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus, Lazarus in John 11, verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I love that. He's about to do something incredible. And he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know, I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. That's confidence. But we ought to have confidence. Well, we ought not pray hoping so. Like throwing the Hail Mary and uh, football or whatever it is. We ought to pray with confidence and assurance knowing that just like Jesus, our Heavenly Father hears us and answers us. John 14, beginning in verse 13, Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask, but the word is, the root word is ateo, which means demand. I will do whatever you demand as your rights and privileges under the new covenant in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask, but the word is demand. You may demand as your rights and privileges under the new covenant. You can demand me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we can pray, we can present a petition or request, but in his name, with his authority, in line with the word of God, we can also make a demand. And part of getting the devil out of your life and having victory over sin and victory over the works of the devil is making the demand of authority. Knowing, having the discernment, didn't bring the reference, but the New Testament talks about that those that are immature can't distinguish between good and evil. And it's the very same people that are living as slaves to sin. So, of course, they have no confidence when they pray. Of course, they're getting tossed to and fro, beat up by life, but it's their own doing. And they're immature. And one mark of their immaturity is they cannot distinguish between good and evil. See, as a believer, you've got to know the difference between the works of God and the works of the devil. And if it's a work of the devil, God is against it. And God is for me driving that out. Whether it's sickness or oppression or possession or whatever it is. If it's the devil, I don't have to ask the Lord what his will is. If it's the devil, I have authority to make a demand and to drive the works of Satan out of my life or circumstances or if someone's come to us out of their life or circumstances. This happened in Acts 3 and verse 6 when Peter and John said to a crippled man, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. So that's not a prayer. They didn't pray about it. They didn't ask the Lord what his will was. They made a demand on the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. They made a demand on his name. This is not a prayer. It's a, simply a new creation walking in all that Jesus did for them. It's not a prayer. It's simply a new creation exercising their authority over the devil and the works of the devil. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Again, that's why we ought not be involved in the works of the devil. 
We're to walk in the light. Amen? Amen? He destroyed the works of the devil. And we're to do the same works Jesus did. So we're not to live our lives helping him. You know, Jesus said, if you lead someone else into sin, you might as well have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. You're like, man, this is serious. I, I didn't plan to say half of this tonight. <laughs> so we ought not be going around helping the kingdom of darkness. We ought to be destroying the works of the kingdom of darkness. We ought not be going around acting like people in the kingdom of darkness are okay. We ought to be bringing them out of the kingdom of darkness. And even if they don't want to come out, at least we should know that we did everything we could and we told them so that we will not have to give an account for their blood on the day of judgment. Peter said this about Jesus in Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, and he went around doing what? Good. He went around doing good and healing how many? All who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So this is what we ought to be doing, destroying, doing the same works he did, destroying the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 reminds us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So we ought to live in that reality. We ought to walk in it. Look at what Paul did in Acts 16 and verse 18. After being harassed by a girl with an evil spirit, Acts 16, 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So he, he, he did something about it because he was annoyed. He had had enough. And, and part of that is people have to want to be set free. But Paul, he also walked in apostolic authority. So he had had enough. He was annoyed. He turned around and said, come out of her in Jesus' name. So we are to be about destroying the devil's works, not putting up with the devil's works, not participating in the devil's works, not deceiving ourselves into thinking and acting and living like the devil's works are okay. We are to be destroying the devil's works. And we're to be doing that because of the authority that we have in Christ. And you have the authority in the name of Jesus with your mouth to drive out the devil, to tell him to get out of your life, out of your circumstances, out of your body. And if someone comes to you and they say, I need to be set free or whatever it is, you have the authority in Christ Jesus to make the demand. Not to even ask the Lord to do this or that, but you to command, you to demand, come out in Jesus' name. And just like Jesus, praise God, our heavenly Father hears us, and he answers us. We'll end with 1 John 5 and verse 15. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. But again, the, the root word is a tail, which means demand. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we demand, we know that we have what we have demanded of him. So what have you been putting up with? What have you been tolerating that it's time you demand something to change? that it's time you demand some circumstance or some situation to change or to just get completely and totally out of your life. Amen? We ought to live and walk in his redemption, knowing who we are in Christ. 
Thank you for listening to this life-changing message. To partner with us and to help us reach more people with the good news of the gospel, visit our website at faithchristiancenter.com. Your financial support is enabling us to reach more people than ever before. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that simple prayer, you are born again and today is a new beginning. We would like to send you a copy of Dr. Jean Lingerfeld's book, God's Very Own Child. To receive your free copy, call the church office at 817-561-3400 or send an email to info at faithchristiancenter.com. Remember to put God first in every area of your life because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. And don't forget, we walk by faith, not by sight.